So what entrepreneurs do is they find a scenario where actually they've removed as much risk as possible and then they enter yeah. and start the business or then they start writing a book or then they you know, do whatever activity it is that seems like a risk, but it's not because they've taken out the risk. Welcome back, everybody, to another edition of the Start It Up podcast, a member of the Education Podcast Network. Well, the break's over, and I'm about to release the new lineup coming up, but today is the last of the re-releases. This was the one I did with James Altucher. Now, this one's a special one because uh, I got to go to his studio. This is uh, when I got to go out to New York City and and do all kinds of things with John Fort and Gary uh, V and then and and James Altucher. And honestly, this was a great experience. One because I got to experience just a cool studio, uh, but two because James is is known far and wide for his crazy risk taking and him uh, being a, a gutsy entrepreneur. So we get really deep into this one. I mean, really deep. This is one of those that I just couldn't cut short. Uh, it was just far too fascinating. So um, again, big thanks to James Altshire and letting me use his studio. But this is one that I know that you can really dig deep on. If you don't know James's work, his podcast is legendary. Like it's always rated up at the top um, among podcasts. So it was an honor, a privilege. So if you haven't fallen into the uh, well yet of James Altshire, I suggest you do. Uh, but other than that, uh, make sure you share this one. We have grown exponentially because people share, and I sincerely, sincerely appreciate that. Also, because we're starting off a new season, we are looking for guests coming up as well. So if you know of a great guest that you would like to hear on the show, you can always email me, don at startedupinnovation.com. All right, enough talking. Now let's get to James Altucher. All right, joining me now is James Altucher. James, thank you so much for letting me come to your studio and and uh, experience all this. Well, Don, welcome to the studio, and thank you for having me on your podcast. I'm all really right. excited to be here. Uh, not as excited as I am. So um, this is a great experience. Normally, I don't do it face-to-face. This is a wonderful setup you have here. Uh, so one of the missions we have... You know, I just want to say yeah. it's always better to do it face-to-face. Yeah, I know. Because... You want to create a product that people are not just going to like, but are willing to share. And I think when you ha- when it's face to face, the audio quality is better. There's more of the rapport. Uh, it's just more. It, someone who's listening to it is like, oh, I like this. But if it, if it's not face to face, they might not be willing to share because that quality is an extra bit of quality is not there. But then they're willing to share something like where it's in person. Yeah. Well, I remember the blog you wrote stating just that, and I run into like, yeah, maybe I should. You even broke down on, you know, I think what was the blog post, how I got 10,000 extra listeners and everything else. And the only thing is uh, you're, what, two blocks away from Penn Station, and not as many people, you may be surprised at this, not as many people want to fly into Indianapolis, Indiana. So, uh, I am surprised at that, yeah. <laughs> so I, it's all right. So, um, Indianapolis we, is a beautiful city. It is. It's fantastic. Um, next time you're in, feel free. So one of the driving forces we have with this podcast is um, too many times people in academia, teachers, educators, whatever, they are listening to voices inside education. And then when I ask if they know who, you know, fill in some of your favorite entrepreneurs are, who, who is that? And I think one of the reasons why I wanted to do that is that they have a level of, and I, when I say they, I mean guys like you, have a level of understanding of being a lifelong learner, of being self-taught a lot of things. So with that, I'm actually going to call this, hope this isn't a backhanded compliment, I'm going to call this the, you're the jack of all trades, master of some. That's it's, it's very true. Or master of none, jack of all trades. I, well, okay, so let's go over some of these. And, and by the way, let's just highlight... Uh, the two book titles that I think sum up what you're really been about, and that is Choose Yourself and Reinvent Yourself. And throughout your entire career, and we can go over your many different twists and turns from being a hedge fund to doing an HBO series to doing what you're doing now, you have made the decision that you're going to adapt and learn along the way, and you reinvented yourself like how many different times now? So I where mean, did this all start? Where, 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 where did this mindset start? You know, so mindset's an interesting question. I think you have to have uh, faith that there's two things. One is you have to have faith that the normal path that people go is not necessarily the only path. 
I'm not saying it's the incorrect path. So the normal path is I'm going to go to school. I'm going to get good grades. I'm yeah. going to maybe go to graduate school. I'm going to get a good job at a good company. I'm going to get promoted and promoted and promoted. Maybe I'll switch companies a couple of times. And eventually I'll retire with good savings and a good family and so on. So I'm not criticizing the normal path. I think that's a totally valid path. Sure. But I think you also have to have faith that many, many successful people don't take the normal path. In fact, often the fastest way to success is to jump off that path and to try something that nobody's ever tried before. So you have to have faith that that is that even though it's scary, that it is also a valid path to success, although albeit a scarier path. Yeah, but so you're confusing me in a way because, and I, I'm saying this lovingly in the sense that you, you, throughout your writings, a lot of times you seem to like self doubt yourself. Yeah. And yet you do because it anyway. It, because it is scary. Because <laughs> it's always scary. When you're going, you have a path that's been well trodden, you know, yeah. the yellow brick road takes you to Oz. And we're taught, even from that movie, if you go out the yellow brick road, you might get attacked by, you know, monsters or whatever. So, so even though it might be a shortcut. And I think whenever I've tried something new, bad things have happened. So... Let's say I wanted to be a writer, so I got thrown out of graduate school. Or let's say I wanted to start a company or invest in a company. Well, sometimes I did well and sometimes I went broke and sometimes I lost my family. And, you know, so horrible things have happened too. And, and, and you get, I think I didn't really focus on the fact that reinvention is not only something that can happen, but it's also a skill that can be learned. And so I would just dive into these new things without realizing like, oh, okay, maybe I need to learn also what's the skill of trying to do new things. Like maybe, you know, you know, I have to learn how to start company. Instead of just diving into starting companies and pouring all my money and resources into them, maybe I should have done that a little bit more carefully and had more money set aside. I don't know. There's both good things and bad things on reinvention. Now, if you do it enough, that good things will happen. Like, you know, so I want to get to the second part of mindset, which is if you do things that you love and you always know when you love doing things, you, you, it feels you, you wake up thinking, Oh, I can't wait to do that thing today. Or I can't wait to learn some more. Or I can't wait to uh, get better at this new thing. I'm trying to get better at. If you always do things that you love, even if you have hard times at it, which is inevitable, that's almost the nature of the beast. Like as you're learning something, you're going to have days where you did poorly because that's why you need to learn. Right. And so, so, and that includes whether it's being an entrepreneur or being a writer or even being a teacher or whatever, there's going to be good days and bad days. But if you're always doing things that you love, you're going to eventually find ways to succeed at it versus the people who don't have enough love for that activity that they're just willing to give up that much faster. Yeah, okay. So this is what, what bugs me, though. Um, I work with students all the time where they don't know what they love. Matter of fact, I deal with adults all the time that they don't know what they love. Matter of fact, they haven't taken that, you know, Joseph Campbell-esque journey ever. They never hopped off. And so what drives me insane is, you know, I have, I have this class it's an innovation and open source learning class, right? And it's the class where they're allowed to do what they feel compelled to do. The hardest thing is always finding out what is your passion, what do you want to do? And then they all reflect at the end of the year, you know what their, you know what their advice is to everybody? Find what you love. Now, they all admit that it, it took time. And it and it um, and it was how, tough. How do you think those people found what, what the they trial love. and error? But I mean, I, I want to speed it up. I mean, some of my students, like one, one of my uh, notoriously, one of my students, Brad. I almost so you could take my class more than one year, and I almost asked. Actually, I did. I asked him not to come back. And at the end of the year, he started to get it. And so all of a sudden, next semester rolls around, and there he is. I'm like, "What are you doing here?" And he said, "Oh, um, I, I I had a totally different mindset. I think I know what I want to do." And from there on, actually, he just launched. He launched uh, the Storybook Factory. He 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 saw a problem. One, he liked books as a kids, but he also as a kid, but he also liked um, iPads. And he was bothered by the fact that kids will swipe through iPads, but they didn't really read. And so he wanted to basically become what he's calling the Netflix for storybooks. And he worked on that that whole year. And I'm proud. So in some ways, I'm happy that he eventually found it. But it took him a year. 
Now, juxtapose that with one of my, what a lot of times I'll get, and I'm using my air quotes, the good kid, right? So the good kid has a 4.3 GPA, and I mean to tell you, they really don't know what they love. Well, a but lot of But they times, know what they love, good grades. Right, which is not something to love. It, it's just that it's you, you they, they think they're earning love uh absolutely with that like their parents will love them Compliance their teachers based. will love them yes maybe their friends will their peers will so so but that's an art completely artificial thing like nobody really you know of course you could love getting good grades because there's this sense of accomplishment in society but it's not like you you can't be a good uh grade haver for your whole life there's no such thing as professionally getting good grades right uh and it's not like uh an activity you do as an adult you just stop doing it once you're 18 so or college or whatever but uh i think it is a very hard thing to find things that you love you can't you can't guess at it it's like you said it's trial and error so you have to try Lots of things. You okay. have to do lots of things. Right. And every, and first of all, I'm also a fan of your show. I hear this a lot from your guests. It seems like the, the, the genetic makeup of these people are find what you love, fail early and as often as you can, learn from it, reflect from it, and keep adjusting. Just, and what I just said, where can you find that in today's public schools? Uh, I don't think you can. Like, I'll, tell you, I'll give you an example with my two daughters. Like, I remember one year they spent the entire summer drawing and they were and they were really into manga comic books mm-hmm. and they were drawing all these manga characters and they were starting to get really good at it and I was really encouraging them and they were super excited and they were competitive with each other and they were constantly reading manga and then they were getting books about drawing manga and watching videos about drawing manga then they went off to school school gives them so much work and so much homework mm-hmm. uh, that they they literally just stopped drawing they've never done it again and like that was something they were passionate about it. They could have gotten really good at it. And school, I, I, I don't want to say school is bad because I almost think that's like a, a cliche now, like I wish school would be better. But I know in this one case, uh, school sucked it out of them. And a lot of times they'll say to me, you know, oh, I hate all this homework. I hate school. I mean, maybe they're not that impassioned about it. But I say, okay, that's it. You don't have to go to school tomorrow. You don't have to go to school ever again. And they're like, what? <laughs> And I said, yeah, just you could just stay with me and don't go to school ever again. I'll, you could take a, a GED. You could learn class. There's a million classes online. You could start taking it. We'll, we'll do things every day. And they're like, oh, no, I have to go to school. You can't just stop going to school. Like, there's this programmatic feeling. Well, and there's also a social comp- uh, component, too. I'm sure they miss their friends. Yeah, but you could have... No, I play dates after yeah, school. Absolutely. You know? Well, but I, I in, in talking to a lot of they don't really hang out with their friends in school. They hang out with their <laughs> friends after school. Well, when I've seen kids hang out, they're not really with each other. They're with somebody else virtually on the other side of Instagram anyway. Yeah. Uh, but no, I think there is a social component. And this is why I always say that I don't want to bash school. I want to enhance it. Um, this is why I'm in so, you know, years ago, and I got to give credit where credit's due. Um, Dan Pink made his uh, TED talk on was the puzzle of motivation. And he went into what people are, it motivates them. It's the master autonomy purpose thing. And I'm like, okay, he was talking about motivation in the term that it wasn't money, but our monetary system in school is grades. So what would happen if I allowed them 20% time? And I did this as a grand experiment and I was lucky enough to, to get a hold of Dan and be able to talk to him and he Skyped our class and all that good stuff. But I still found it took a long time for them to be deprogrammed to find their own opportunities. Well, how do they get deprogrammed at all? Because I think school is everywhere and their friends are everywhere and their teachers and their parents. Right. It's hard to get outside of the normal school thinking. This is why I have this podcast. I mean, literally. The, the The more people I can open up to the entrepreneurial mindset and to get out of, you know, Tom Bilyeu talks about, you know, breaking free of the matrix, right? Um, these, once you take off the glasses, you see things as they are. The world that we used to prepare you for is great at what it was. Well, heck, we're both, we both know Naveen pretty well, right? So he always gives that metaphor of, you know, if grandpa gets out his, his you know, rotary phone and points it at you and says, where's the Instagrams? You couldn't say it's broken, the phone still works. It was designed to make phone calls. And when he said, you know, our schools aren't broken, they're just obsolete. What they were designed to do is gone. Well, 90% gone, right? And so you know people, I mean, you're always on emerging things. 
you know, AI, Internet of Things. I mean, these are job killers, man. Traditional jobs. What's going to come out of it? We don't know. And that's the other thing that drives me nuts is we keep hearing the statistics. 65 to 70% of the jobs of the future that our kids in grade school will have don't exist yet. Well, who the heck do you think is going to invent those jobs? Kids that are sitting around waiting for instruction? Yeah, so so again, like I think that there has to be a skill set. It's a skill to figure out how to find what you love. That's yeah. different from what, you know, nobody loves... Uh, uh, you know, you picture a school day. It's 42 minutes in chemistry, 42 minutes in uh, ancient English literature, 42 minutes in French, 42 minutes of gym, 42 minutes of uh, trigonometry, and you're supposed to figure out what you love. By the way, none of those things, 1% of the population loves any of those things I just said. <laughs> so, like, who loves trigonometry? Who loves chemistry some people do right but but most people don't who loves the canterbury tales some people do but most people don't uh you know all, all these things you know, that they teach in school most people are never going to love doing yeah okay so one of the things i always love what you do is that you tell people like give me something right give me like give me something like you always give the the metaphor of the guy in the cubicle right the guy sitting in a cubicle right now give me one or two things they can do okay so i'm going to give you the same challenge sure a kid sitting in a study, so we're going to play within the system. Mm-hmm. Like most kids have a study hall. Mm-hmm. It's a time where you're supposed to study. Oftentimes you take a nap or you just take a reprieve from the things that you say might not interest them. So there's a kid sitting in study hall right now, James. What do they look into? I think they should, they should, there's several things you can do. One thing is make a list of all the things you love doing when you're not when you're not in school for an extended period. So if I'd said to my kids, list all the things that you've loved doing um, in all the summers you've had outside of school. There might be drawing, mm-hmm. there might be ballet, there might be theater, there might be writing, uh, there might be, you know, making a lemonade stand, there might be like learning some basic computer language, there might be playing tennis. Just make a list of these things. You don't have to you don't have to be a professional tennis player, you don't have to be a professional ballerina. Just make a list. And now see what looks so let's say you picked uh drawing. Well, maybe you stopped drawing for 5 years. But what would you, you know, what are some ways you could you would be how has drawing aged with you? So maybe you like comic books now. Maybe you like, uh, you want to make a, you like children's books. You could think about illustrating children's books. Start to think about how this skill that you almost developed a long time ago might have aged with you. And now you could start exploring that. Yeah, yeah. Or or return to like what 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 you sought out instead of, what was pushed on uh, you? Sometimes yeah. ma- many people seek out things. They go to the to the bookstore. Like think about going to the bookstore. There's 50 different sections in the bookstore. There's uh, you know history. There's World War II history. There's uh, crafts and hobbies and mm. knitting and games and humor and and you know religious studies. What? What section of the bookstore would you gravitate to where you don't mind reading every single book in that section? So that's another technique to figure out what you might love that that's different. Like, oh, I don't mind. I, I'm kind of intrigued. I just saw some movie the other day about World War II. I wouldn't mind learning more about that, reading everything about World War II history. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean you're going to be a World War II historian. It just means that's something that you might want to love learning a little bit more. What could that mean? Well, maybe... Uh, how does that age with you? Well, maybe you could do a podcast about right. strange things that nobody knew about World War II history. But wait a second, I'm not a historian. I didn't get a PhD in World yeah. War II history. Doesn't matter. You still there. You could if you read twelve books, you know more than ninety nine point nine percent of the population. So now you could talk about a fifty podcast, and then you have guests, and you could talk about fifty podcast episodes worth of things about World War II that I never would have guessed. So, uh, uh, I mean, I just read something. I mean, I'm not going to give this specific example, but I just read something about World War II literally this morning that I had no clue about. So there's things that someone who doesn't study these things doesn't know and is fascinating. That you could, uh, there's millions of people that w- would be fascinated by some facts or things that you could explore in a podcast or a blog or articles or whatever. And I'm just making this up about World War II. It could be any right. topic. I mean... 
Uh, no, I, I like that because you're hitting on like both choose yourself and reinvent yourself that you, you said earlier. You don't have to be the expert because you are. If that's your thing, you can start talking about it. Well, and, and, look, and, and no one's going to check your credentials. I mean, now if you're spewing lies and false things, then maybe somebody's going to call you on it. But I like the fact that you're like, give yourself the confidence to just do it. Well, well, two things there. One is nobody's an expert at anything. Yeah. So just because you got a PhD in history, it's the whole nature of science is that, okay, science reaches a certain point, And then over the next generation, new thing, new questions are asked and studied mm-hmm. and new hypotheses are created that might refute old hypotheses. So that's just the nature of any kind of study is that anyone who was an expert one generation, they might know a lot of things, but it's, it's the nature of, of study that the next generation might supersede what was studied in the older generation. Uh, and, you know, the other thing is you said uh, if you just say a bunch of lies, people are going to call you on it. Well, yes and no. I mean, look at this past election. For all we know, if you listen to everybody, then everybody was lying. Right. <laughs> so so we don't know who to listen to or who to pay attention to. You still have to make up your own mind as an individual what you're going to study and research and pay attention to and make your own decisions. Yeah. No one can tell you anything and say this is truth. So you still but but it's interesting to listen to all the different opinions and then and keep an open mind and and decide for yourself. So again, we're all here just a short time and and the only mandate real there's no mandate so maybe there's a kind of genetic mandate to have children so that's it and you don't have to uh even do things you love but uh it's more fun to to do things you love and explore things that you're interested in and maybe argue about things you're passionate about or do things you're passionate about and for me what i find is that Passions only last so long. So I tend to be interested in something for a few years, then interested in another thing for a few years. Then sometimes I'll combine them, and I'm interested in the combination for a few years. And that's actually re- usually resulted in my greatest successes. If I've, if I could say I've had any, it's usually when I've, oh, I'm interested in finance, but I'm also interested in the internet. Well, make a website about finance in a way that's never been done before, that could be an interesting business that could serve an interesting group of people. Um, and that'll be a success. So, or if you're, let's say you're interested in World War II, but you also like science fiction, we'll make a kind of a time traveling story about World War II and bam, that could be an interesting science fiction story. I don't know. You know, there's, yeah. there's always ways to combine interests that, are fascinating. Well, I think that even what you're saying that, and if you find that it's a dead end, you don't like it. Okay. Stop. Yeah. I, I, I think it's one of the things that I also like about the classes that I've probably at minimum changed one major, right? That kid was going to be this major in college. And by the time they are done with high school, they're like, I, I'm not going to do that. And I think that's wonderful. If you can discover what you don't love, in in high school or even middle school, then good for you. I, I I like taking those risks. Yeah. Now. But also, I mean, how many people start off college even thinking of one major and then actually end up majoring in it? That's what I'm saying. I'm like, I know several of my former students changed their majors three and four times. Like case in point, I had a one girl. She was going to go to dental school because that's what her parents said that she was going to do, and she's like, ah, oh, okay. Good money, it's whatever. And she fell in love with the entrepreneurial process. And then she started reaching out. And I think this is kind of your point too, um, networking with people. And then she discovered like, there is no way I want to go to dental school. Not that there's anything wrong with dentists, uh, but she discovered it wasn't for her. Um, although on the other point I was making, the thing that drives me nuts is when people say bemoaningly, well, it's not what you know, it's who you know. You know who teachers know? Everybody? I mean, if you've taught more than 10 years, you know 300 families. And those 300 families know, actually, you shouldn't know way more than 300. But anyway, you get my point. Like, if you start connecting with people and connecting with people and connecting with people and you're nice and you love what you do and you're doing this for the best interest of your students, like, why shouldn't you be your student's agent or networker? I, I think that's the other thing that we really like to spend our time on. Um, heck, one of my favorite stories. Uh, we we were um, is the beginning of school last year, 
And over the summer, I had listened to a podcast that had Naveen on. And at Naveen the time, Jane? I, yes, Naveen Jane. Mm-hmm. And at the time, I hadn't heard him speak. And um, I'll, I'll even remember where I was on this trail. I was out walking a trail, and I stopped. I'm like, stopped. I was like, oh, my gosh, this guy. Like, he was breathing life into me. And um, if there's one thing that I wanted my students to know, it was, like, a lot of his message. And the first time I also heard the story of your, you know, your phone's not broken. And so um, first thing, I mean, we're talking the second day of school. I said, all right, everybody sit down. I said, I'm going to show you this, right? It's on YouTube. I'm like, I'm going to show you this. And if you don't like it, I'm not going to, I'm going to be upset. Actually, I don't, I I think I used it as a litmus test. I even said, I'm like, I'm going to show this. And I I gauged their reaction, right? And I see how they were going to react to it. Because in the past, you know, people that I think that are cool, the average teenager might go, whatever, but I'm, I'm playing this, and they were like, wow. And so just for laughs and giggles, I decide to take a picture on, and this is one thing, this is the reason why we're living in the greatest time. I take a picture of it and tag him on Twitter. Hey, at Naveen Jane, we're listening to your speech, blown away. And we're like, okay. And I've got a decent-sized Twitter following, something, maybe he'll see it. Five minutes later, five minutes, he favors it. And I'm like, I didn't want to interrupt because they were in the zone, right? They were listening to Naveen, but I was like, hey, guys, he just favored it. They're like, no, no way, no way, it's cool, it's cool. They go, like, tweet him back again. I'm like, okay. So before I could do that, he sends a message, honored that you're showing this to your class. So I'm like, oh, my gosh. So now we have to pause it, right? We're we're pausing the the YouTube thing. Uh, And so I was like, no, we're honored and, uh, and then I say, you know, maybe you could talk to my class. It's an innovation class. Five minutes pass. I'd love to. Now the kids are freaking out. And, of course, you know, I'm so, like, today? <laughs> Question mark. He's like, I'm really busy today. Let's do it Monday. Monday rolls around. And when I say that he breathed life into me, he's sitting there talking. Matter of fact, one poor, I shouldn't say poor kid, because he, he I say this because he was crying. There's one student who lacked self-confidence, and he asked Naveen a question, and Naveen said, stop right there. You already know the answer. I can tell in your voice. You just need the confidence. I know that you can. I believe in you. What was the question? It, basically, it was a student asking about following kind of a, I believe it or not, I think it may have had to do with manga and him wanting to be an artist and kind of the, you know, well, it's not really, you know, kind of a college thing. And so Naveen more or less said, and of course his whole thing is, you know, if you don't think that it's, people don't think if you have a crazy idea and then you're not shooting high enough, but he, you know, told him that he believed in him. This poor kid starts like comes up to me afterwards. I mean, like right after his question was over, cause we were on Skype he's like trying not to cry. He's like, um, can I go to the bathroom? And I'm like, are you okay? He's like, no one's ever talked to me like that before. And this is all, like that first day that he replied back, they're watching in real time, real networking. We went from watching this guy make this killer speech and in 15 minutes, he's agreeing to talk to our class. Now, I want more teachers to do that. I want more, and, and, and I'm, I'm inspired, you know, by you. I'm inspired by Gary Vee. I'm inspired by, you know, the entrepreneurial types. But if another teacher is an art teacher and she really likes, uh, I'm going to draw blanks, but, well, Banksy's probably hard to get a hold of. But, I mean, it, their favorite visual artist, you know, it, they should be reaching out or at least maybe to a guy that they have local access to. Because, again, we all know a guy who knows a guy. And, and when we put that into power, all of a sudden the world of opportunities and, and things start to open up. And so when you said to return to their, you know, times where they were happier during the summer, yes. And who in this area can we find out that's in there? I mean, Twitter and Instagram are a heck of a thing. You can get a hold of you. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm sitting here in New York City because I sent you a tweet and I'm like, hey, I would love to interview you sometime. And you're like, yep. Let's do this. Um, this is I'm not trying to have a fanboy moment, but you know, I'm kind of happy that, 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 well, that we I'm, live in such I'm a time. Glad that uh, that I can help you be happy. <laughs> so okay, so going back, you, you have had this go through your last twenty years from hedge fund. I wanted you to explain this. Was it three a.m. 
yeah. HBO. I want you to get into that. Uh, I, all these different twists and turns that you've had, and what have you taken from them? I mean, that's a that's a tall order question. <laughs> uh, so I was really interested in computers and the internet. Yeah. But at the same time, I was really interested in entertainment. Yeah. So I was trying to. I was in grad school for computer science, mm -hmm. but I was also trying to write a novel. And this was 25 years ago. And I was really, uh, I was good at the computers, but bad at the novel writing because it's, a, it's actually a much harder skill. And uh, uh, eventually uh, I left graduate school and I figured, you know what, I need to kind of, I need to start combining these interests. So I ended up at HBO getting a job in their IT department, their computer department. And I started working on their website. No companies had websites then. So I started working on HBO.com. And I said to them, uh, because again, I wanted to combine my interests. Hey, if you are uh, just like you do original TV shows, why don't you do an original web show? And they're like, okay, that sounds great. What should we do? And I pitched to them this idea. There's, a, there's really a, a longer story around it, but I pitched to them this idea why don't I walk around at three in the morning on a Tuesday night? Because whoever I talk to, whoever I find at three in the morning on a Tuesday night, they're up to no good. <laughs> or and they're really interesting. Saturday night, they might be partying or whatever. It's like college kids. But Tuesday night, Wednesday night, why aren't they asleep? Like going to work the next day. So I started doing this. I did this for almost three years for HBO, where every week I would go out and interview and then put up the results, you know, transcriptions of the interviews on HBO's website and then I even shot it as a pilot for the the channel and uh it was a lot of fun I, I did it but then other companies started saying to me hey can you do a website like that for us right and so I set up a company on the side to create interesting websites for other companies mostly entertainment companies and so here now I'm combining all my interests like computers entertainment I'd always been interested in business and entrepreneurship uh, and so now I had a little company doing uh, something I love doing, like making these fun, interesting websites. Using, that was Reset? Yeah, it was yeah. called Reset Inc. And um, uh, we did websites for, well, HBO, People Magazine, uh, all the record labels like Loud Records, Bad Boy Records, Interscope Records, Miramax, Time Warner, New Line. Uh, we did so many entertainment company websites. You and Wu-Tang. Yeah, we did uh, the Wu Tang, all their <laughs> stuff because they were they were with Loud Records. We did everything Loud Records was doing. Uh, uh, so we did all the rap labels. We did the Source magazine, um, and so it, you were three AM humans of New York before it was cool. Yeah, yeah, we were. It was kind <laughs> of like basically a blog before uh, yeah. there was blogging. Like no, it, it was, was so far ahead of its time, and that's why I was like, huh. And and you made that turn into something else, but yet you parlayed all the experiences with it. Yeah, like I would say at that point, I wasn't the best computer guy in the world. I was still, you know, I, I shouldn't say still. I wasn't the best uh, writer in the world. And I probably wasn't even the best internet guy around. But just the combination of all these things, we were the only company doing websites specifically focused on entertainment. And, of course, then that doesn't mean we had just entertainment companies as clients American Express would say to us, hey, we want to be a little bit more hip in this internet mm -hmm. age. So they would hire us. Con Edison would hire us. Like all these banks would hire us. So we got like great a great customer list. And then eventually um, we sold the company because I don't think I'm the type of person I don't stay with one interest forever. I want to move on and try the next thing. Now that might be good in some cases. It might be bad. People say, shouldn't you focus on one thing forever? I don't really believe in that. So I'm yeah. not a big believer in, in focus. Now, focus does let you say... Well, okay. for, for a short amounts of time, you were incredibly focused. Yeah, and I would say, look, I mentioned in, in 25 years ago, I started writing novels. Well, I've been writing every day almost since then. Yeah. So just because I've had lots of career shifts, some things have stayed common in my life. Like I've always been a writer. And, and so finally, I would say I got pretty good at it, enough to, to write many books and so on. Uh, I've always been, you know, 3AM involved me interviewing people, and this I started this 22 years ago, so I've always been involved in interviewing. 
that's aged with me. Now I interview people for a podcast. So so things have a way of kind of evolving with you and that even though your interests and passions might change, you build up all these skills out of the things you love and you combine them in different ways and it allows you to succeed at different things you become passionate about. <laughs> so then after Reset Inc., all of a sudden you you're in hedge funds. Yeah, so so what happened was is that when you this is a, a big problem about making a lot of money. So I made a lot of money when I sold the company and uh once you make a lot of money because our society equates net worth with self-worth, uh I thought, "Oh my gosh, I'm a genius at anything I do. I'm always going to be a genius." And so I started investing in all these companies and I lost everything, all of my money. I went dead broke. Well, to be fair, to state what year you started to invest in. Cause this was a, this was, I, I went through a similar process, James. Yeah. Well, I guess, I guess 1999, uh-huh. you know, which was the boom. So, yes. so, so for a while it seemed like, oh my gosh, this is great. I'm going to turn, I'm going to make like a oh, billion James, dollars. <laughs> I was convinced that I was going to be a day trader because I could not lose in 98. Yeah. I mean, I could not lose. And then all of a sudden, you know, I started losing. <laughs> yeah, it was horrible. So, so, but I, I mean, I lost like millions and millions of dollars. I lost the house I had bought with the money I'd made. I, I lost, I was just dead broke after having like millions and millions of dollars. And I figured, okay, well, I clearly wasn't a genius. And <laughs> I, I went back to what I knew I was good at, which is writing software. So I wrote some software to model the stock market. But I started showing other hedge fund managers my software and they started giving me money to trade and I, I started doing that. Then comes back my interest in writing. I started writing about it mm-hmm. and I started writing first for thestreet.com. Then I started a column at the Financial Times. Then I wrote my first book, which was a finance book. Now I don't write finance books at all, but I my first three or four books were finance books or even more than that. My first like five books were finance books. And, uh, 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 you know, now I was combining my interest in writing, my interest in investing and, and again, entrepreneurship because a hedge fund is, is a business. I started up a, a, a hedge fund and then what's called a fund of hedge funds because I knew so much about every investing strategy. I was able to diversify by investing in people doing all sorts of investment strategies and I learned so much more. And then uh, I built a whole career out of, out of that for a few years. And then I wanted to get my internet stuff back in there. Yeah. So I said, let's build a website which has no news because news is actually irrelevant to investors. Uh, news, uh, most investors know, day traders know the news is is mostly lying. Day traders <laughs> always know this. And so you always kind of trade against the news. And uh, inve- long-term investors know that today's news is just the rough draft of history. So it's basically irrelevant for long-term investing. So, so I built a finance website that, unlike all other finance websites, had no news in it, but focused very much on how hedge funds were trading. So that was the focus. And it became like kind of a social media site as well. You could friend people and share your portfolio and so on. So I built that up, had millions of users, sold that business, and uh, and then went broke again, of course, uh, shortly after that because I just couldn't handle having money at all and had to start from scratch again. And it was just over and over again until finally, you know, there's three skills with money, making it, keeping it, growing it. And it took me a long time to figure out how to make it. Then it learned took me a long time to figure out how to keep it and a long time to figure out how to grow it. But there are three separate skills. Well, what I love hearing, and I already mentioned it before because of my affinity to Joseph Campbell, um, you keep taking the journey. And, yeah, and too many look, times maybe. <laughs> well, but I know it's what I'm attracted to in the sense that you're the quintessential chips in the middle of the table and red, awesome, red, awesome, black, Okay, and then you went about it again. You 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 you've kind of reinvented yourself so many times that now it seems like you've lost your fear and you enjoy the journey more than you would have probably in nineteen ninety seven. Well, maybe, but I wouldn't say I lost the fear. I would say because I'm I'm even probably more traumatized by the thought of making the same mistakes 
uh, that I did then. Because, you know, once an addict, always an addict. And right. so there's some problem I had that caused me to keep losing all this money these times. So now I just make sure very... I, people kind of uh, often think entrepreneurs take risks, and maybe I thought that way too. And But entrepreneurs do the opposite. Yeah. So what entrepreneurs do is they find a scenario where actually they've removed as much risk as possible, and then they enter yeah. and start the business, or then they start writing a book, or then they you know do whatever activity it is that seems like a risk, but it's not because they've taken out the risk. They're hedging so, their bets. Right. right. So, so for instance, uh, I don't know. Like, uh, there's so many things I'm involved with right now, but I very much with everything I do, I, I my only focus is how do I, I, I look at something, I say, wow, that's great. This looks really interesting. I want to do it. But then from that point, that's the easy part. From that point, I figure out the hard part is how do I remove risk from this thing I want to do? And that's what I spend 99% of my yeah. time doing, which is removing risk and not putting all the chips on red, making sure that my chips are everywhere. Yeah. My chips are on so many slots, I can't even like lose. So <laughs> so that's how I, f I figure it out now. Yeah, okay. Well, now it's, I, I read, was it Adam Grant's book, Originals? And that was the first time that, I had, that they acknowledged the fact that no entrepreneurs don't like risk. They try to mitigate it as much as possible. Well, well and, and let's just take a look at that as an example. So in the very beginning of Originals, he he is analyzing the investment in why didn't he invest in Warby Parker, which is the success. He, they were his students and now it's a successful, you know, I think billion valuation eyeglass brand and he didn't invest in it. And he one of the reasons he didn't invest in it, even though he knew them and he felt the idea was a good idea, one of the reasons he didn't invest was because they were keeping their day jobs yeah. because... They didn't want to risk, you know, they didn't want to risk their families and their livelihoods by going full time until the business had proven itself. And maybe they shouldn't have been looking for investment then. I don't know. That, that's another story. But my first business, which you mentioned its name was Reset, I stayed at my full time job for 18 full months while starting my business on the side okay. before I left my job to go to the business full time. Yeah, I'm, I'm so glad you said that. This All of a sudden, I just drew this conclusion. This is exactly why I do what I do. I want more students to be entrepreneurs. For And, and, and you know, Daniel Pink called it 20% time, and I even broke it down 20% of what? 50% of school should be covering the standards. I've got no problem with that. There's standards for a reason. So there's Why? What's the reason? Uh, well, well okay. when are you ever going to uh, use trigonometry okay, again? Okay, 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 okay. I knew you were going to do that. Uh, the, the, the standards up to let's just say freshman year. I mean, basic learning is needed. You need to learn. You can't be innovative if you don't know how to write, read, basic math. You're right. You're getting to. You're getting ahead of me. But at least up till freshman year, the standards are there for a reason. Then 30% of the time, so I, I break this down to you have to, you should do, you want to. You have to cover the standards. I, look, I play within the system, and I'll, I'll – so if a teacher says, when am I going to have all this fun, happy time or whatever, I'm like, okay, and 50% of your school week, you, you do the things that the government says you have to do. I understand that. Respect. You, you, if you're not going to beat the system yet, play within it. So then 30% of the time, things that you should do. This is project-based learning. These are things that are enhancing beyond the obvious on the standards. So now we're up to 80%. That 20% is want to. You had to cover the standards. You should do some interesting things with those concepts. Now what do you want to do? You're armed with a set of skills. What do you want to do? And so like you said, I've got some students that are like, screw it, I'm going to be an entrepreneur. I'm going to drop out. I don't want that. Like, like my daughter, Ava, my oldest, I've, I've got two daughters and a son, and, and Ava has said, um, and Anna and Grant, I love you too, um, but she even said, she's like, I don't think I want to go to college. She totally should not go to college. Well, and it's, I, I know it's just gonna, you know, you've been, you were writing about this 10 years ago. If I gave part of my students at the day things that they wanted to do, now they don't feel like it has to be an either or. You either drop out and pursue your dreams as an entrepreneur or you stick with the traditional blah, blah, blah. I want them to taste, just get a taste of the want to within the school day. But at least if we give them 20% of their time of the school week on things that they want to do, I think that we can change education. Maybe. 
Um, you know, when I say I stayed at my full-time job for 18 months before I left for my company full-time, that doesn't mean I was spending 20% of my time yeah. at my company and 80% at my full-time job. I had my full-time job, which was a nine-to-five job, and then I would say 80% of my time was at my company. <laughs> but I still, you know, you look at a nine-to-five job, people get in, you know, depending on the job, of course, People get in at 10, they leave at 4, they have a lunch break in the middle, they have cigarette breaks throughout the day, water right. cooler breaks. They probably actually work only an hour or two a day. This is office and, space, right? And, and uh, most of the time, even when I was at my full-time job, I was living and breathing my company. Yeah. Yeah. And I think in even when I was in school, when I was in high school, definitely when I was in college and, and 100% when I was in graduate school, which is why actually I was thrown out of graduate school. But even when I was in high school, you think about it, there's all these breaks, you, you're taking like nine classes a day or eight classes a day. There's all these breaks in between class, you know, three or four minutes, and then there's another three or four minutes where you settle down in each class and so on. And then there's a lunch break, then there's a gym break. So most of the school day, you're not actually learning anything anyway. Uh, there's so much time in kind of the cracks of your day yeah. where you could, re- it's not just 20%. You can really be doing what you love doing again for 80% of a day, uh, on an average school day. But you know, then the teachers throw in so much homework yeah. and then kids these days get overscheduled. Like, Oh, we got soccer after school and we got class at piano classes and this and that. Mm-hmm. And you know, then I think it's uh, kids just get to- totally twisted around and, what it, and they have no idea what they want to do in life. And it's for that reason I want a dedicated spot in the school day to say you can now think. Right, it, but it, they're so, they're so I drained. Know, I know, I know, I know. It's hard. I, I get that. I, I'm, but, I mean, we have to start somewhere. Yeah, all right. And you have to teach them what to do yeah, during and, that and, time. And I think this is one of the missions on. So I'm a high school. This is my high school class. Um, the school that I'm at is very generous with me. I'm at Noblesville Schools, which is a suburb of Indianapolis. I get to work with the elementaries and the middle schools because this seems logical as a, to a first grader to say, like, well, seriously, show and tell was like the greatest thing in the world, but that's Montessori learning. You know, so a part of your day is learning your ABCs, but a part of your day is to openly inquire. How was this made? How did that happen? Well, let's do an experiment with this. If we can extend that through grade school, it seems natural. Then all of a sudden, then by middle school, they start experimenting with things that, again, that have to, should do, want to, the things that they've wanted to. They've, they've gone to school now for five, six years. They're all fired up about manga. They're all fired up about, you know, whatever. Now's the time we're like, I want to do this. Awesome. And and here's, here's one of my last points. We have all these little co-working spaces and... Uh, you know, incubators. You know what the greatest co-working space and incubator could be? Our public schools. Uh, we we could we could have people come and bring great problems to our students. Well, I I agree with you, but uh, realistically, it's not going to happen. Maybe it'll happen ten years from now, yeah. fifteen years from now. You know, I can dream, James. You know, the the no child left behind. Uh, yeah. is, you know, we can. One can argue its merits or, or demerits, but it's it's here. It's not going away. It was marketed and worded so correctly. No one's gonna. But you of all people know the power of a story. Yeah. And, and if you start working with some schools, and again, if they want to do some community, just imagine, you know, I'll, I'll but, take but, a, a neighborhood development like a, a, a battered women's shelter. Said, hey, students, do you have some ideas for us? Because we're running out of funding. And if the students were able to actually do something, not write an essay actually do something the story of that might make other schools go huh that's very true so have you gone to a battered woman's shelter and asked them to ask your students that so ironically like, well i'm giving that example because I, I interviewed jeff hoffman and and there was a, his story but uh this year i asked my students um in our it's, again we're a suburb of indianapolis and i said go find a struggling business and go help them and did they do it oh yeah i loved it Matter of fact, that is a good idea. Matter of fact, one of them it was kind of funny because because then you actually have to do something that actually somebody uh, finds value in, which which never happens in school. I agree. Like 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 getting an A on a test doesn't actually create any value for anybody. 
um, uh, it proves that you memorize a set of facts, which is fine. I'm not going to criticize right. that. But like I see my own kids as they start to enter into internships in the job marketplace. It's a whole different thing for them to, and it's an excitement for them to actually create value for somebody because they've never had an opportunity to do that before. Yeah. And everybody's good at identifying problems. We just whine about it. Matter of fact, one of the funniest ones is like, so it, it, I'm not going to lie to you and say every single project was was awesome, but most of them were. Mm-hmm. And one group was panicking because the group that they said that they were going to do it, they didn't take them seriously. Because most companies were like, this is free PR. Sure. And one group just flaked out on them and they said, Wetrick, our presentation's in like two weeks and we don't have them. I said, that's your problem. Go. And they said, well, we think we've identified it. Could you help us make the call? Because we're under some time constraints. I'm like, fine, sure. Who was it? I'm not going to name the restaurant, but there was a small local restaurant. And um, I called them up and I said, "Uh, hey, this is Don Wetrick. I'm calling on behalf of my students. They want to help you because uh, we're identifying struggling businesses. And the first thing she said is, why why do they think we're struggling? This is a long, awkward pause. And I said, well, they tell me that your food's really good, but only old people eat there. And you guys have that reputation of just serving old people. And she puts her phone, she puts her hand over the receiver and she laughs. And then she comes back and she goes, that's about right. When can you get here? She knew that she needed marketing. So they worked on a geo filter on Snapchat. One of our other students worked on a, um, actually two, two groups did geo filters and then did incentive programs where if they used it, they'd get a percentage off and kids get, kids get marketing. And so we, we, we use that time to identify a problem. Now, I have to admit, this is where I'm bragging. I'm at a school that allows me to have this class, but I'm starting to work with state governments, and I'm on a mission to get innovation and open source learning into every high school that I can for these reasons. I think that's, I think that's great, and I think, you know, power to you if you can create a dent. I think ultimately school is going to be about supply and demand, and I, and. I think cases like your daughter, if she could, if she were allowed to drop out of high school and start taking online courses and hanging out with her friends who also were dropping out of school or whatever, that would actually then really underline the fact that the value of public education as it is right now is no longer demanded. Mm-hmm. And so, so, so the value would go down and then it would change. So I think, I think value has to go down in order for real change to happen. Um, like in any market, like right. that's how, right. that's how business happens. That's how capitalism happens. Right. And I'm, I hopefully, I don't sound too delusional, but I'm wanting to bring these kind of stories now. So people really good educators and really good superintendents can look at this curve and then go, instead of us wanting to like, instead of us ad- ad- adjusting to mass dropouts, let's pivot now. But, but how does a school, how, how does the average high school judge success? Oh, does you want to make this a part two? I mean, I, I no, but no, we just, have a stupid obsession with numbers. Okay, okay, stats. okay, oh, but it's not an obsession. It's it's law. Okay, in many yeah, states, it's true. in many states, it's the law who gets funded. Yeah, uh, is how they've done on standardized tests, and maybe the next uh, step down is what colleges did the kids go to? Yeah, uh, and a lot of parents will judge. Or, so, so the government yes. will judge based on the standardized tests, and parents will judge based on. What colleges did the kids go to? Yep. So, so the kids themselves have no opportunity or to judge even the worse, school. Poorer schools are based on expulsion rates and graduation rates. Right. They don't okay. even care what college you went to. Right. So, but the problem there is, in you know, I actually think of, uh, uh, well, it, I'm actually sitting here encouraging kids to drop out. Mm-hmm. So now, in a poorer school, maybe you don't want to encourage that. Like that's you know, you need the kids to be in a safe space during the day. Right. But so it just just depends school by school. But clearly, kids should be doing something else. No, I, I and I think that's what drives me. And 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 I think what you're doing is fine, and that's great. And there needs to be more teachers like you. But the school itself will never be judged differently, no matter how many stories like that you tell, because the state of Indiana is going to judge the school by law based on standardized tests, or at least that's how it is in New York State. I don't know how how Indiana works. I'm going to disagree somewhat. They're never going to know any different if they don't know any different. And the more I can highlight other classes doing what, and I'm not sitting there trying to be braggadocious. There's some great things going on in education. This is why we have to be loud. This is why we need to interview James Altucher. 
And then when we start showcasing the fact that we've worked with businesses, uh, a year ago we had four patents filed, uh, awarded to our class. We had wow. students making money. No, if, I agree. If, if they don't, this, if they don't know about that, then they won't change. So right. I'm going to be as loud as I possibly can. Right, and and you should be. And those are great anecdotes, and they're great stories. What are the odds that the in you know a there's federal law, yep. and then b there's Indiana law. So they're all they're linked together to judge uh, success of a school in terms of federal and state funding. Right. So. How will that change? It's the economy, stupid, right? Isn't that what we always say during elections? Our, our, our opportunities, or lack of them because of IoT, because of AI, because of all these great game-changing technologies. I heard Gary, Gary say this. He was with Damon John, and he says, you know, what needs to happen? And there was some things. He wasn't just talking about education, but he said carnage needs to happen. And and then when somebody's that's, that's what I agree. I, Carnage. I, I know, but I'm hoping. I'm hoping. All right. No, it's fair. Look, that, that there are some superintendents doing... out there that go, "Oh my gosh, maybe we should look at." But Which, how can how can a superintendent say that because he keeps his job based on the law? Like, well, because he's there are judged some superintendents out there that have some guts. All right. There, there are some that have it, and then those are the ones that are going to be also making stories, James. And this is the reason why I'm, I'm sitting here talking to you because you're a doer. Not trying to blow smoke up your butt, but you do things. You adapt. You reflect. These are the hallmarks of great education, but you're not yourself educated. So if I can take some of that DNA and put it in a public school, we're all winning. Because right. I don't I, I don't want them to drop I out. I agree with that. So yeah. so you're doing the best you can in in a loudest way possible. In sort of a hostile environment. Yep. Because the law is against you. That's okay. If you were to just do totally <laughs> what might be the quote-unquote right thing to do, um, uh, you might get fired, and then you wouldn't be able to do it at all. Yeah. So you have to do it the way you're doing it. And I'm t but my students have a jump on a lot of people because they're experienced in doing things. And, well, well, and then hopefully that will make other schools, that competitive spirit... You know, if Alabama gets a better recruit than Auburn, so I'm hoping I'm hoping that the new competitiveness is how many patents are filed at your school, how many businesses are launched at your high school. I hope that's the new gold standard. And and if and if that's the new bar, then schools are like, hey, uh, you know, our instead of LeBron being celebrated, no offense, but like if some high schools were like, hey, five of our kids chose not to go to school because they launched their thing from our classroom i'm hoping that will be the new goal that that would be great or if every single classroom experience the students created something of value to somebody Thank else that you. would be a good thing yep. so for instance coming up with solutions for a restaurant that's a great thing that's exciting that's fun that's uh creating Relevant. value for somebody it's 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 difficult uh uh I think I said it's creative, but those mu exercising those muscles is how you succeed as an adult. And there, and as you've kind of mentioned, they're not really taught in school at all. Right. I think the other thing you kind of hit on what we always strive to do too is like we have a rule of thirds in the class, and the first third is do you have a passion about it? Check. That's the easiest part. Well, once you start identifying, and and they they usually write a proposal for everything they're going to start working on. So anyway, first third is I'm passionate about it. Check. Second, the second third is what skills acquisition are you going to get out of this? So like you said, you're like, I need to put together a video. Awesome. You're going to need to learn how to do some basics of video editing and decent design. And then the last third, and then my favorite, is who is it serving other than you? Because I, if you're successful, I just don't want you to be an asshole about it. So case in point, two of my students came up to me this, this year and they're like, hey, we want to learn how to be day traders. I'm like, all right, let's go through the rule of thirds. And they rolled their eyes at me, and I'm like, why do you want to do this? Well, we're really passionate about money. Okay, awesome. Will and acquiring wealth. Okay, skills acquisition. Are you kidding? We're gonna learn trends. We're gonna learn, you know, blah blah blah. We're gonna learn all these things. I'm like, awesome. Who's it serving other than you? Silence. <sighs> I said, I'm not gonna prove it unless who's it gonna serve. So all of a sudden they scrambled and they had to reframe it, and they're like. You know what we should do? In our pursuit of learning this, maybe we should start a stock picking club where we can all learn together and then like use it because I have this wonderful room. It's all whiteboards. looks like Google. And so they're like, maybe if we like learn together, 
as a collective group, we can learn. And then they started to track. And so they put the word out during school announcements. And then tons of kids showed up because you know what kids like? Money. So by forcing them to just not think for themselves was something I was very proud of. And Colin, uh, then, you know, he's learned that your network is your net worth. And so he started calling on people you know, what What representative of, you know, pick your favorite brokerage house wouldn't want to go in and talk to a group of kids? That's great inside sales. And yeah. so he started networking with all kinds of people, and he's learning things along the way, and he's learning that it's not just about him. It's about serving others, too. James, I, from the bottom of my heart, um, the, what you have modeled, um, the fact that you have succeeded and failed, succeeded and failed, and my most important thing that I love is you reflected you reflected on all of this and you've shared it with the world. Um, your, your level of honesty and at times self-deprecating humor is so welcomed because our students are afraid to fail and you're showing them that it's, it's, a, it's a fun dance. And yeah. for that, I, I sincerely appreciate it. Well, Don, thanks so much and thanks for having me on your podcast. The pleasure is all mine. We'll have to uh, connect with my students at some point. Excellent. Thank right. you. Thank you. All right, there you go, James Altschurch. Again, I recommend you check out his podcast and his blogs and all that good stuff. Uh, and I also recommend you go check us out. We now have a great foundation. We have startedupfoundation.org. Go see what we're doing there. Also, Fridays now feature students from that cohort. So if you haven't checked out Friday's episodes, make sure you do that. Hit that subscribe button. It makes it a lot easier. All right, this is Don Wetrick reminding you, as always, those opportunities are everywhere. We'll see ya.